We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Are you ready to unlock your true potential and take your personal and professional growth to new heights? Then listen up, you guys. I want to tell you about The Huddle. This is my newest exclusive way for you to work with me in a group format for you to get mentorship and coaching every single week. Think about what a huddle is. When you're on a team of people, you get together, you put your heads together, you strategize and game plan for what's going on in your personal and professional lives. And that's what we're going to be doing every single week together on a 60-minute Q&A style coaching and mentorship call. This is your opportunity to get access to me and get my hot takes, opinion, and advice on how you can continue to up-level in your life and business. The other thing about this program is that you're going to be surrounded by like-minded individuals just like you as we come together to network, create change, and propel our lives forward with the huddle. So if you want to join me every single week for a place for you to get and propel your life to the next level, then go to torygordon.com slash huddle or click on the link in any of our social media bios. Sign up for the huddle today. I'll see you guys this week in the huddle. What's up, Coachable family? Welcome back to the Coachable Podcast. I'm in studio here at Blue Wire Studios at The Win. We got Darren Waller in the house today. Super excited to have him back in Las Vegas. If you don't know him, you're about to get to know him, but he's tied in for the uh, for the New York Giants now. We miss him over here in Las Vegas from the Raiders, but we're letting them have you for, for now. <laughs> uh, but welcome back to Vegas. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you. It's an honor to be here. Yeah. We were just talking about you about to head back to New York. Yeah. Get ready for, for camp. How are you feeling? Uh, I feel great. Body feels great. Yeah. You know, guys that are, I'll be 31 in September. That's mm-hmm. like almost reaching dinosaur status in the league. But, uh, <laughs> Is it? Is that what that qual- qualifies as? Uh, yeah. By, by 30, they're trying to push you out if you're not really getting the job done. Okay. So it's a blessing to still be in it. It's a blessing to feel the way my body feels right now yeah. after the last couple of years. So I'm grateful. Amazing. Amazing. Well, I'm excited because we were just saying we ran into each other not too long ago, a couple weeks ago at the Radiance Music and Wellness Festival here in Vegas. You and I were both speaking at it along with your co-host of your show, Donnie. Um, Y'all got to interview Modest Yahoo, got to Mm -hmm. do some really cool cool stuff there. Um, 
And if you guys don't know, Darren also co-hosts a podcast called Comeback Stories, which is awesome. It's very much in alignment with kind of what we do here at Coachable, just really telling the stories of people and how they've turned it around, you know? And I always talk about the game of life and how to play it. Like, that's my thing. Mm. I talk about most people play defense their whole lives. They never learn how to play offense and move down the field and move towards their goals and their desires. We're always like playing not to lose. Mm. But when I heard about comeback stories, I heard about like what I consider it's like halftime when people are like taking inventory of their lives. They're like, hold up. I am down 40 points and this is not where I expected to be and I need to turn it around. And what am I going to do? How are we going to like strategize going forward? So I'd love to just get your story. I mean, because I know you've told it before, but this might be, and for a lot of people listening, might be the first time they've, they've like, actually heard your story. They probably know yeah. your name and know what you do on the field. Right. But I want to know like the man behind the title and everything else. So tell me a little bit about growing up. You told me earlier, you grew up in Georgia. I spent the last seven years in Atlanta, but like, what was it like growing up in, in Georgia? And uh, what was childhood like for you? Uh, childhood, I always tell people like externally around me, there was uh, there was nothing rough about my upbringing. I had both parents uh, they've been married for what will be 37 years Wow! at the end of August this year. Um, I had an older sister. We lived in a nice suburb, great mm-hmm. schools, sports teams, anything you can want as a kid yeah. is around you. Um, but for me, it was always like internally in my mind and just like in my spirit, in my heart from very early age. Uh, I was always very uh, intelligent, but I was also like extremely sensitive mm. um, and like emotional. So like things would kind of, get to me very easily. And one of the first things that kind of got to me and I can never really shake was, uh, I was always told I wasn't black enough mm. from like elementary school. And, uh, cause there's this perception of like being black and acting black and how you should carry yourself, how you should talk, what you should listen to all those things. Mm-hmm. And, um, I didn't fit that at all. Like I listened to all genres of music. Yeah. I was a nerd as a kid. I was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I just wasn't really, I didn't fit that stereotype or just that I that image yeah. and uh I took it as something being wrong with me as opposed to me being unique and that being special and that being different but um so yeah that just I, it turned me into a people pleaser very early on mm. came I also people I always I became addicted to people's opinions of me long before I came addicted to drugs and alcohol yeah and uh it I had to force me to just put masks on everywhere I went like even on the sports team like I was nerdy so I wasn't really like them and then I was in like you know gifted classes, honors classes. And I was like the only black kid in there. So it was like, I didn't look like them. And right. Everywhere you go, you just feel like an alien. Yeah. And all you want to do is just get a thumbs up and be okay. You know, I'm not, did, I didn't think I was asking for anything crazy. Yeah. Did you feel like when I hear that, cause I can relate very much to what you just said. Um, did you feel like you were sort of a chameleon in terms of like whoever you're around, you kind of morph and change based on your environment? Uh, yes, very much so. And I feel like there's, I feel like there's actually some good that can come from that because I've learned how to interact with different people where some people in their upbringing, they don't have access to certain races or ethnicities or, you know, they just know their own reality. So I've been able to get to know a lot of people, a lot of different environments, but at the same time, you can overdo that and you you don't really have an idea of who you are and, you know, what you want to be, what your values are. It's, It's always like, how can I fit into what's being on display around me? Yeah. Definitely. When did you get into sports? 
Uh, very early. Okay. I don't know how I got into football because my dad's from New York. He's, he's like a basketball guy. My mom, okay. they, they like watched football, but they weren't like football people. Mm-hmm. And we just kind of landed in Georgia. And I guess I saw something like NFL films on TV and it just like clicked. Yeah. And I was just like binge, like that was my binge watching back then. Like, really? And I could still remember guys' names and stats and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I started playing football when I was four. I started playing basketball when I was four. Wow. So and were then, you a big kid? Like, no. cause, cause I mean, obviously you're a very large man and I imagine <laughs> like that once you start to grow or hit growth spurts, people just kind of already point you out as like, oh, you're going to be an athlete or you're going to be, you should, you should play sports because of just like your stature. I was curious if like, you I were like I think I had a decent size in like middle school and like uh, elementary into middle school. But once I got to high school, I was like one of the smallest kids. Really? Like eighth grade year I was like I was like five foot four five foot five with a size 13 shoe and big ass ears <laughs> and I was getting roasted all the time Dang. but um but yeah my freshman and sophomore year I was just like I was riding the bench because everybody started lifting weights and was way bigger than me I was like five seven like 130 mm-hmm. and then I hit a growth spurt like right before my junior year of high school started and that's when I started really started growing yeah so you said that your first kind of addiction was around people pleasing and other mm-hmm. people's opinions I think I know personally what that's like. I know everybody listening on some level can probably relate to looking to other people to kind of tell you who you are and how to be and what is acceptable and what's likable because we all want to belong. We all want to be accepted. We all want to be loved. Like we all have those primary needs. And I know you're now, you've got such a platform where you really talk about these really important topics. So I want to know like for you, what was it in terms of like your early development where you started to to recognize like was it that you were getting praise and like uh, you were getting a lot of recognition from people because you were good at these like sports and different things or what what was it that started your journey of like really trying to make everybody like you or please people that you kind of lost touch with yeah, your internal I, self? I think it was a combination of you know kind of like how like I described how I didn't really fit in, but mm-hmm. then. Also, like you just said, uh, I was good at sports right away. Like I just had a natural yeah. kind of feel. It was never like, I, I'm like, I know I'm going to the pros, but it was just like, I, it just walked out there and, and things were just went well. Right. And, um, so, and, and they continued to, like I hit some bumps early on in high school, but um, started playing my junior year and then started getting scholarship offers. So it was like the success came mm-hmm. and, it, and I knew, like I said, I was a smart kid. Like I knew that growing up in Georgia and being in the South, like football is religion. Yeah. And it's like, if I'm good at football, then people are going to love me. People are going to accept me. And so I took that love in as if it was like authentic mm-hmm. love, unconditional love when it was, you know, a good bit of it was conditional. There are people that loved me unconditionally. I couldn't sure. receive at the time, but I, I took the love that I could get and ran with it. Yeah. It's like, it's almost, you start to learn whether it's consciously or unconsciously that I'm loved based on how I perform. Yep. Yeah. And so exactly. it's like, I have to continue to perform at a high level so that I continue to get the praise, recognition, love, and acceptance that feels good because we all want it. Things I'm still trying to shake today. Yeah. So what? how did that play out You know, in your life as you started to obviously get older, get more recognition? You talked about the masks that you wore. What were some of those masks that um, started to present themselves? In the football locker room, it's like... Um, like the tough, like masculine, like nothing affects me. Mm-hmm. I have no emotions, which also comes with um, like a womanizing, like 
because you're celebrated for your ability to, to conquer yep. in that kind of environment. So you have to take that on, even though that was very difficult for me to do. You kind of just got to like swallow it and be like, all right, this is what, this is what I have to do. Right. So yeah. those were some of the, some of the main ones. Yeah. And at the time, did you feel like that was inauthentic to you or were you just trying to kind of find your way and you're like, this is who I'm supposed to be. So I'm going to be it. Or was there an internal like conflict that you had where you're like, this does, this doesn't feel like who I am, but I don't know how else to be. Yes. I would say that last one. It's like, I, it was, it was like, this is not me. Like this feels very forced. This feels very unnatural, Mm -hmm. but I don't want to go the rest of my life being told that I'm not living up to the standard or that I'm not good enough. So now I'm going to fit the standard so you can tell me I'm okay. Mm-hmm. What did that pressure to perform at that high of a level for such a long period of time? Cause it's like, once you get the taste of it, it's like, we have to keep doing this. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, the hooks get in you pretty, pretty early on. Yeah. Cause I, I say like when I left high school and toward the end of my high school, like football, it wasn't really the joy that I had when I was a kid. Mm. It was all like, how can I get people to, cheer for me and right. you know all this like get, get the love and the respect from that and it's it's all like results based it was mm-hmm. never really like any kind of like process based thinking whatsoever right and the pressure only mounts up because you go from Ackworth Georgia in Cobb County to okay now I'm going to Georgia Tech which is in the ACC which plays on we play on ESPN regularly right. um, so more eyes like on you national audience and then you go to the NFL and it's like that's worldwide like owns a day of the week yeah. Um, so it's the pressure only continues to mount up and then it's like, okay, well, the things that I use to cope, like as the pressure rises, my coping mechanisms have to increase mm-hmm. in their frequency and their in their variety as well. Yeah. How were you coping with the pressure? Um, I mean, I started early on when I was fifteen, I started doing uh painkillers. How does yeah. a fifteen year old go about getting his hands on painkillers? Did you have an injury? Um, I didn't start with injuries. Oh, okay. I did have an injury around that time, but that's not how I started. Oh, okay, okay. There's some uh, some friends that sure, played sports with. They're like, they got into their parents' medicine cabinet. They're like, sure. yo, try these. Mm-hmm. It'll make you feel good. And I was like, I, most of my life, I was like, I'm not going to do drugs and alcohol. Like, yeah. I want to do things the right way, you know, and like whatever. And, uh, but the way it was presented, it was like, at that time, I didn't really feel good. I wasn't confident because there was no way for me to perform. I was on the bench on the football team mm. or I was getting hurt. And, you know, I wasn't, it wasn't like women, women didn't really want me at at the time. So it's just like a lot of ways where I didn't really feel great about how life was going. So I was like, yeah, I'd love to feel good. And you take it and it's just like, whoa, yeah, this is the answer. This is the solution. Mm-hmm. And it's tricky that way because you, you kind of enter into this like alternate reality where you can slip into it anytime you take it. And it makes you feel like superhuman and uh, your fears or your insecurities or whatever kind of melt away. And who doesn't want to feel that way all the time, right? Right. Uh, I would imagine that's a slippery slope. How did that that play out? How did that progress for you? Um, My brain is all types of twisted, you know what I'm saying? Like me like suffering from like, Alcoholism, I feel like, and I feel like it was like I was kind of like born with it too, just like off of family history. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like it was already there. So when I took that first pill, it was like it was go mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. But you know, you start mixing drinks and stuff like that. And around the time that I really started increasing my using was when I started getting bigger. Was when I started playing varsity sports in high school, and I started getting college attention. So I was like, oh, this works. Like, right. Good things are happening in my life. Like I don't have to give this up. 
And so then once you get addicted and I get to college and I got to rush like my sophomore year and my freshman year, I was like, I know I'm not really going to play. I was like one of the lowest rated recruits in my recruiting class. So mm-hmm. I was like, I'm just here to like party it up and get a degree and keep it moving. Yeah. So it's, um, but yeah, it's. <laughs> yeah. I imagine no one starts down that path thinking I'm about to get like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to get addicted. Right. right. It, that's never the plan. No one right. wakes up one day is like, I'm going to start to be an addict today. Right. But it's, it's a progressive thing that if you don't have the tools or know how to cope in other ways, that's your, your go-to strategy and it works. And you were saying that like, in many ways, your life was improving and like continuing mm-hmm. to get better. But then you mentioned like an arrest. So, so were there other ways in which that it was actually having a negative effect on your life or was, was overall, was it positive for you? Um, there were consequences kind of out the gate. Like my junior year, I got um, arrested uh, and got kicked off the basketball team because mm-hmm. of like the consequence of, of being arrested. And uh, I was just like, you know, in pride and was like, you know, fuck that. I'm not going back to the basketball team my senior year. Like they asked, they're like, asked me if I wanted to, come back and I was like, nah, fuck that shit. And I just like, yeah. that whole time before I was going to go to college during basketball season, I was just drinking, using like, and kept going down that road. Mm-hmm. And then, like I said, I got arrested early in college and, and it was like, none of these consequences phase my using whatsoever. Really? And the consequences only continued to rise and even like good things in my life that were like dreams being fulfilled, things that people would kill for. I was like, I would, th- I would throw that away in a heartbeat because mm-hmm. like, I'm really, I'm really addicted out here. Like, sure. this is not a, this is not a game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, somebody could hear that and be like, okay, maybe the first time you get arrested, like rested, maybe it's a wake up call or maybe the second time you're going to like, not at all. be like, okay, this is probably a road I don't want to continue to, to like go down. When, when was that pivotal moment for you? Like when, when did you have that, that like we were talking about before, that pause where you're like at halftime, you're like, yo, this is not the way I thought my life was going to be going. In so many ways, you're doing amazing. You're getting a lot of recognition. You're now in the NFL. You're playing at the highest level. People love you. But like internally, there's there's a dissonance, right? I talk about it in terms of what true success to me, and I'd love to hear eventually what your definition of this is like having a life that feels as good as it looks. Mm, yes. I always, I always used to um, to say like to myself in quiet and then like I would start to tell people like once I started to get honest I was like it feels like everybody loves my life except for me mm, that's gotta be a terrible, terrible way place to live <laughs> terrible place yeah <laughs> terrible I've lived that in a different context but I've had that same experience where you're like everything looks so good on the outside right. but my internal reality is doesn't feel good at all not one bit so yeah take me to that like moment where you like things started to change um they didn't start to change until uh august 11 2017 i overdosed on painkillers mm. yeah i came in on painkillers i went out on painkillers wow and um and there was a lot of things up to that point where it was like you think it would stop you like i got sus- suspended from the team multiple times in college I was one drug test away from being kicked out of school um got suspended multiple times on the Ravens and I got suspended banned from the league for a year, two months before I overdosed. So it's like, you know, you think like, Oh, you get the year banned. Like, all right, now's when we stop. Mm-hmm. I just went, I just went even deeper, mm. you know? So it's just like that overdose stopped me because 
up until that point, I'd have the illusion of control. Like, you know, I got this, like I can, I can hide it from you. I'm a ma- like a master man- manipulator as far as like hiding things. Mm-hmm. Cause I'm already kind of like an introverted person back then. And, um, so I could hide things from you. I could pull the wool over your eyes. I could beat drug tests sometimes. Mm-hmm. And the overdose just like kind of shattered all, all the control that I thought I had. And I was like, yeah, nah, like I think I'm really doing something here, but my life could have very, like I could have, yeah. You know, and at that time I was like, I'm going to hell mm. for the way that I live. You know, wow. I was stealing, I was like doing all types of, of crazy stuff. So it's like my life could have been over with. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and then you're like, okay, no, this is actually, I'm not in control. It's got, it's controlling me Facts. at that moment. Yeah. So during all this time and you're using and you're hiding kind of like who you really are, what you're really going on and like playing it cool. Everybody else thinks that you've got it handled despite kind of these, these different like challenges that you had and certain like consequences, who's in your ear at that like time? Did you have people like speaking into your life and like trying to encourage you and trying to help you or were you, or, and were you just like not listening or did you have any coaches, teachers, mentors that were like really there with you through, through all of that? Um, There were so many people that were trying to be there for me from college. Um, My receivers coach, First and foremost, his name is uh, uh, Buzz Preston. Is his okay. name? He was always he was always on me, like trying to you know get me to see things from a spiritual perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was I was so good at keeping people at arm's length, and it was just like my isolated nature that was already there was just you know exponentiated. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like totally, and pushing everybody away, family, friends, um, getting into the league, like. You know, the general manager, Ozzie Newsom, head coach, uh, John Harbaugh, they were trying to help. They were mm-hmm. trying to get in and understand. And I was just like, it's not letting people in because it's like you project. He's like, you don't want people. I don't want people to see me the way that I see myself. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. you don't want anybody to really get close. But um, toward as things started to deteriorate in Baltimore, there was um, a team clinician that we had. who's was basically like a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Um, she was uh, very much on my side. The player engagement director. Um, and the team chaplain, those were three that were like really starting to, you know, start to kind of chip away at me. And then like, kind of like once I broke after the overdose, like my mom and my parents had been there the whole time. Like, yeah, there was just so many people that were there trying to help, but I couldn't allow their help to be effective until I was ready to help myself. That's exactly what I was like thinking about. I heard someone recently say like, good advice, like right advice at the wrong time is the wrong advice because it's yeah. not, it's like until someone's ready to hear it mm-hmm. and receive it, it doesn't matter, right? It's going to like kind of fall on deaf ears. Right. And, and sometimes it takes like a lot of the people that come on this show and are now like peak performers, genu- genuinely at the highest level in whatever their industry is. So many of them, the common denominators, there's like a rock bottom moment. You know, and I know this is what you talk a lot about on your show too, is people's, you know, comeback. What is like, how did you start to pick up the pieces after the, after the overdose? Like what was the rehabilitation process like? Because in sports, let's be real, you get injured, you go to fucking rehab, you go work that injury, you get physical therapy, you take time, pause, do whatever's necessary. We don't do that for like mental injuries or emotional injuries or, or, anything. We just expect people to just handle it, right. deal with it. And hmm. Now we're coming into a culture that's more 
perceptive and open to, to mental health and, and holistic health and the importance of therapy and all of those things. But like, what did your quote unquote, like rehab journey look like? Did you go to rehab? Yeah, I went to rehab. Oh, so but yeah. Even, but even before rehab, like for some people that may not understand, like I'm talking about like the disease of addiction and like alcoholism. Mm -hmm. It's like, I heard somebody say alcoholism is the only disease that tries to convince you that you don't have one. Mm. Like, so I come out, I come out of an overdose, right? I go see these addiction specialists in a uh, college park in, in Atlanta mm -hmm. and uh, I do like some testing and, and they're like, yeah, you need to go to rehab immediately. Like dual diagnosis, uh, substance abuse, anxiety, right. depression, all that. And uh, the first time I'm on is I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't need rehab. Like, what are we talking about mm -hmm. here? Like that's for, that's for crazy people. Yeah. Like, I'm a Georgia tech graduate. <laughs> I'm, uh, you know, going to make a million dollars here. <laughs> pretty soon, you right. know, and, uh, and that's just like the sickness of it all. Mm. But, uh, I, I ended up going to rehab, I went to rehab in Maine and I was there, I went to detox for four days, mm. which was an experience. And then I went to, uh, the actual rehab place for 30 days mm. and it was, it's trans, it's transformative experience because first off the, the ability to take 30 days off for yourself and just remove yourself from life almost everybody's not willing to do because they feel like they have to keep up with the, the pace of life and the hurry and the busyness. Like they won't take that time to invest in themselves. Mm -hmm. I look back now and I'm like, okay, like people may have been running laps around me and I'm not moving in that time. But what that time did for me has changed my life yeah. in ways that I never could have imagined. So it's like learning how to meditate, journaling, group therapy, one-on-one -on -one therapy, dragging you to 12-step meetings. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's literally just like, building a new foundation for your character, uprooting everything that was there before and allowing you to start from within, from the spirit and from, yeah. and from self before you try to reach out into the external world for success or validation or any of those things, like just starting from within. Yeah. And it just, from then life's been completely different. What a contrast to like the, the before and after, right? It's just yeah. like, it can almost be like a shock to the system. I'm sure it was just in terms of like going through um, detoxing your system mm -hmm. is a shock to the system in itself. Yep. But it's like you have one life and then now you have a like a life that is void of those things that took up so much space and time and energy. And, you know, now that doesn't exist and you've got to learn new tools and ways to be and how to orient yourself and like relate to yourself and life and your stress. Because right. stress doesn't just go away. That's the thing. It's like, right. it doesn't mean you still don't have pressure on you when you come out of rehab. Right. It's like all of that still exists. So how, like after that, those 30 days, like what were some of the tools you mentioned mindfulness and starting to relate from like a more spiritual perspective? Like what is your relationship to spirituality? And was that developed in rehab or was that something you've kind of always had and has grown over time? Um, I can say I had it, but I really didn't have it. So it was like, uh, definitely a rediscover, really just, I would say rediscovering, like actually just discovering mm -hmm. because when I was a kid, it's like you, you kind of get forced to go to church and, um, you know, I grew up in church. People, people don't know what black church is like. You'd be in that mug from 9am to 2pm <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, and it's like church becomes a chore. It's mm -hmm. like anything church related is just like, uh, yeah. but then it's like, okay, if I do these things, you know, God will bless me. And it's kind of like, they kind of paint that picture in, in some churches. Sure. And, um, and so I, my relationship with God was like transactional. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I realized that after a while and I was like, okay, like, and I'm just like, live out here living reckless. Like God wants nothing to do with me. Mm. 
And uh, so I just ran away. And then going to like 12-step meetings and stuff, all the 12 steps is is just getting you to form a relationship with a higher power in your life, mm-hmm. whatever it is to you. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, it's like, okay, like I know God is out there. Like, um, let me let me try to ease my way back. Like, I know he's just waiting to send me to hell. But it's like, I couldn't view God through like a loving lens. Right. Right. Because I, it started with just, I couldn't love myself. I couldn't receive love from anywhere. And so it's like, trying to receive it from God out the gate was mm-hmm. uh, was tough. So it was starting that along with all of the other tools that w- I was learning from rehab. And it's just like, I'm just out here like, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. But I was just able to find some structure, continue to do the things I was doing and just have a plan after I left rehab. And uh, over time, like things started to change. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, like you hearing you talk about your relationship to God and church, because I grew up in the church too. I mean, from Alabama, you're in the Bible Belt. It's kind of <laughs> yeah. the culture. Right. But the way you related to God then sounded like very much like what we're taught a lot, which is God is like judgment. It's like- Yeah, punitive. (laughs) Very much judgment. Like you do this, this is going to happen. And if you know that you're not living the way you're told to live, at least, that you're afraid of the punishment and the judgment. So I'm just going to like run and avoid it and like live in denial and act like it doesn't exist because I don't want to face it. But really, it's like your own judgment. It's not even the judgment of God. It's you're mm-hmm. judging you, yep. right? And you think, because you talk a lot about feeling the need to hide. And what I what comes to mind for me when you say that is just like, if you really saw me, like if you really knew me, right. you would judge me as much as mm-hmm. I judge me. Exactly. Yeah, and that's like, so scary because we think everybody else is as judgmental as we are. We think everybody else, but like truly no one is as harsh and as critical as we are. Unless they got their own stuff going on. Of course. (laughs) I don't ever take that into account. Exactly. (laughs) But we're like, think we're the, we have the worst problems or we're the worst guy. And, and we can never be honest about that because God. Heavens no. Forbid. If you really knew (laughs) the shit I think about, you would. Yeah, well, you yeah. you wouldn't love me. You wouldn't the last. And when we're addicted to the acceptance, mm-hmm. then that's the farthest thing, like from our minds, like what we would even entertain. So, given that context, as you start to go through rehab, you start to be more honest with yourself. I imagine yeah. the people in your lives. Mm-hmm. What was that transition of like actually getting real with people and starting to orient to the, your relationships, your friends, your family? from a place of like authenticity, like this is really who I am. Was that a challenge? Uh, I I imagine that it might've been. Very much so. Yeah. Um, Because it's all uprooting that like, I wish I could do like a 12 step breakdown, but it's really just like a summary of it would be like recognizing that you can't do this in your own strength, Mm -hmm. inviting the higher power in, um, doing an inventory of yourself, of all the, the defects and the, and the bad habits and the, just the self-centeredness that, accrued over time inside of you as a result of your addiction, um, admitting those things to people, um, becoming aware of all the different character defects that cause you to act, even if you're not on drugs and alcohol, but cause you to act like you, like you are Pretend, and be yeah. in the same behaviors. And then you um, do right by other people by going to make amends. And then from there, it's just like continuing your spiritual experience into prayer and meditation. And then like, being of service to other people. Mm. So it's like, but first you got to start with like the nitty gritty and getting into all that and realizing like, like you're the common denominator and in, in everything that is happening in your life yeah. that you're 
not a fan of it, you're like, ugh. Like, but when you take ownership, you realize like, if I'm part of the problem, then I can also be part of the solution. Mm-hmm. And um, it takes a little bit of a while to get there. You got to feel, you got to feel the sting of everything. Like at this point, like my character was basically like, if I want, I want to change the way that I feel mm-hmm. when I was using drugs and alcohol. So it's like any type of emotion, like I don't want to feel that if it's not good. Yeah. But then it, it numbs out all the good emotion too. So you got to learn how to feel again. Yeah. Even yeah. The, the crappy stuff. Totally. I mean, it's interesting. I wrote down something for a different interview today that I thought I was going to use in, and I think it's actually way more applicable here. So <laughs> I'm curious to get your insights on it. But I imagine as a byproduct of kind of continuing this pattern of addiction, one thing, Pete, I don't know if you know who Peter Crone is. He, they consider him the mind architect. He works with a lot of athletes across all different and just like peak performers. He's really, really amazing. And um, he says something about addiction being you can all you can never get enough of something that almost works. Whoa. Yeah. Damn. I'm like, yeah, it's like nah, you, wow. Yeah. It gets you so close to what you think you the thing you want, but so you keep coming back for it. And you're like, maybe this time it'll give me the thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, shit, that's so real. But as a byproduct of continue to do that, I imagine you probably like broke a lot of trust with yourself and with other people being like, I'm going to get my shit together this time. Like I'm going to stop doing this. And then you don't, you go back and you said something about make amends, which made me think of this. Cause as, as you start to rehabilitate and you're like coming back in into your life with this newfound kind of perspective and approach and a plan, um, how do we learn to tr- like, how do we gain trust from people and with ourselves after we've kind of done the thing over and over and over again. And one of the things, there were like kind of five steps that this guy um, talks about is like, how can I trust again and accept somebody's promise instead of their pattern, right? And he gave five steps, which is one, acknowledge what happened, two, make amends, three is um, like acquire tools. Have they like actually gone out and acquired tools to do things differently? Or they've taken accountability and they have accountability like built into their lives. And five, they accept boundaries that are necessary for you to move forward. And so I'm curious for those, like, does that relate any to any of the ways that you started to reestablish trust with yourself or with other people where it's like, how do I know I'm not going to kind of go back to the ways that I was like the things I was doing before? Um, I feel like I, it started with abandoning this idea of um, getting trust back from other people or getting back on the right terms with other people and just um, working on myself. Mm -hmm. And then to the point where it's like, if I'm really consistent in who I say that I am, they'll take notice of that. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be clear as, it'll be clear as day. And then like, I won't have to worry about doing something different. Yep. Now that that trust is back, I just continue to to be who I am and who I'm becoming. Yeah. And, um, and letting that go is, is key because he's always like, until you're willing to let that go, you're always going to find a way to manipulate it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and it's like, you, you, you know who you are as a manipulator now. And it's like, you're going to get back to the same place and be like, man, I haven't changed one bit. You're yeah. going to get back to crushing yourself. But right. one thing Donnie always said about, um, about confidence and trust with yourself, it's, it's kind of like the four agreements that being impeccable with your word. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, all confidence is keeping the promises you make to yourself. Right. And like, I, I say, I'm gonna do something. I'm going to follow through on it. Yeah. And, if you do that consistently enough day in and day out and don't grow weary in doing that, don't get, don't get like, okay, like I've done it for three days. Mm-hmm. Now 
when are you coming back to trust me again? Like, mm-hmm. it's, no, it's just abandoning the results of it and getting into the process of just the fundamentals of, of trusting yourself, which yeah. is, you know, if, if I don't believe me, nobody else is. That's so good. That's so good. It's like giving up the external result of the need to be in the good graces of everybody else and be like, do I like me? Do I like it? Like, <laughs> do I like how I'm showing up? And, and I can't remember who says it, but like every choice we make is a vote for the person we want to become. It's like, I think about that a lot in my life, my own life. I'm like, this thing I could, I could do X, Y, or Z. Like, which is a thing is going to like make me more of the person that I, I want to be, the person mm-hmm. that I know I can be versus the thing that can give me some pleasure in the moment. Right. Right. Um, but I think that that's really an important piece of recognizing that it, the, you don't need to fix the trust in the relationships with all these other people as much as you need to establish that like evidence for who you are and who you're becoming. And over, and as a byproduct of that, those, that trust is reestablished. Exactly. Yeah. And that carries over to so much of life. It's like, uh, even if you look at my football career, I never went back. First of all, I didn't even want to really want to go back to playing football again, but really? I went back into it and I was just like, you know, if I'm going to do this, like, why don't I do this right? And like the way I built the new foundation in recovery, build a new foundation in football. And it's just the way that I approach like, drill to drill, practice to practice, workout to workout, mm-hmm. week to week, and approach that with all my focus and all the all the presence in my mind and give it all I can. And, and if I never play in the game again, I never play in the game again, but I gave this process everything that I have and who I'm becoming is, you know, more important than the end result, right? per se. And then, but voila, all of a sudden, like I was able to have another opportunity and I was ready for that because... I let go of the result and focus so much on the process. But if I was just sitting here like, man, like I got to get back in the game. Mm-hmm. When, when am I going to play again? Like I'm not doing nothing until I play again and then I'll get back to work. Right. No, like it's, it's yeah. the complete opposite. That's so good. Okay, I have a question. Um, when you think back to younger Aaron, what are the words you think he needed to hear when he was like, at the time when he was like most struggling? Like when you were like felt the most lost or most just like confused or hopeless or whatever it was. Like, what do you think? What were, what would be the things he needed to hear then that you would um, tell him now? I think the most effective would have been to go back to five, six years old and just say, don't be afraid to be different than other people mm. because, you know, you were given a unique calling and a purpose for, for you. Like we already have enough of them. There's already enough people trying to be the same person or follow the same, you know, be a part of this culture that, you know, isn't afraid to break free and, and be themselves and leave their own imprint. Like, don't be afraid to do that because you're going to see these people that you think are cool and they're going to be burnt out. They're going to be exhausted. They're going to, it's going to, you're going to see the real version of them and it's not going to be what you thought it was mm-hmm. before. But if you stay true to, to you and who you are and what you believe in, what you enjoy, what you like, um, your, your life will be so much better. And you'll and when you look in the mirror, you'll like what you see as mm-hmm. opposed to you can do everything for everybody else and they like what they see, but then you go home and you ride in that car by yourself or you look in that mirror and you don't like what you see. That's that's not where you want to be. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I know that like you wouldn't be doing like the show that you're doing. You're on a bigger mission than just playing football. Like, Facts. What is that mission? Um, I would say it's to at its core is to give people hope that uh, their mistakes don't disqualify them. Mm -hmm. Um, Their failure isn't um, like a person. It's like an event, I Mm -hmm. guess you could say. 
Um, because I mean, I've been arrested three times, I've been suspended or kicked off of every sports team since high school. Um, yeah, you know, if we're going off of mistakes, then I'm, I'm fucked, you know, mm. but um, but that doesn't have to define who you are, you still have something to offer, no matter how long your list is, no matter how many people have written you off, there's still an opportunity for you to be a person of impact and a positive impact in this world and live a wholesome life and enjoy your life in the process. Yeah. Do you, how is your life now? I mean, I know you recently got married. Yep. Um, you're going back to camp right now, still playing football. Like how is life post some of the quote unquote, you know, failures you've had? What is it like? Now? Um, it's been, it's been amazing, you know, um, First and foremost, just me from a spiritual perspective, I feel like my relationship with God continues to expand. There's moments where it's it's tough and like I still feel like the whole view of like judgment and all that. And it's like, it still feels like a, just more like a business relationship sometimes with God when mm -hmm. it's really like, okay, I need to really get into this mode where I can receive all this love. But yeah. there's been so much progress since I got sober. Um, mm -hmm. When you look at my football career, it's taken off in 2019, 2020 were my best years. Yeah. And then- you know, the last couple of years, uh, like probably like a year and a half, um, you know, I've been uh, injured a decent amount and it hasn't been the same level of production. So it's just because like my life's turned around doesn't mean like it's going to be like rid of adversity. Sure. So yeah. it's, I'm learning that it's, uh, adversity is going to be like the core part of most of my life. And it's going to be about how I respond to it each and every step of the way, as opposed to like my performance mm -hmm. and everything. Mm -hmm. And so just going deeper into that mindset has freed me from that and it allows me to go into this new season and not have to put pressure on myself to, Oh, I gotta be top two mm -hmm. again. I gotta be, all, you know, like mm -hmm. none of that, none of that stuff matters. None of that stuff matters. It's like, it's all about like how I feel yeah. about me and, um, and, and being married has been amazing. You know, there's been adversity in that, you know, moving across the country, they're being distant sure. early on. So, um, but I'm grateful. These are yeah. grateful challenges to, to have, you yeah. know, I, it's sometimes you, uh, I heard a friend say your, your blessings can stack so high they can start to seem like problems. Mm. And it's like if your perspective wow. isn't um, refreshed consistently about everything that's loading up in your life, that your plate's getting more and more full, um, you can kind of get lost in the sauce. But my life is great. As yeah. long as I don't start to just trip and, mm. and just get lost in anxiety, <laughs> man, like my life is great. Yeah. I mean, that's such a good point is that what you just said about when your blessings stack so high, you think they're problems. It's like this ability to zoom out and like connect to gratitude mm -hmm. and remember like how good we have it. Like I, even somebody who's not in the NFL or has a beautiful wife or has an amazing life and like even people who are in the middle of their comeback and they're like, they're just trying to turn things around and do things a different way. I think there's so much power in being able to zoom out and be like, I'm here. The fact that I'm going through something hard hmm. is a blessing, like, because I exist. And I, I watched a video yesterday, actually, and it was really powerful. And I can't remember um, who it was that was being interviewed, but they, he said, you know, I got to a point where I learned to be grateful for the worst thing that ever happened to me. Thanks. Mm, and he was basically saying that like, he's, that even the thing that you wish never happened, he's like, I'm glad that it happened because it's, it means that I was, I lived through it. Like I, to exist is a gift. 
even if you're going through something, something really hard, what would you say to people who are like in that season where they're in the like thick of it? Where like, I don't know how I'm going to turn this around. Like I, maybe they're kind of, they've just accepted like, this is all life's going to be. And like, what do you say to people who are on the cusp of trying to make a, a big change in their life and, and come back in the second half? Like, what do you, how do you encourage those people? Um, <laughs> there's so many things to say. I would say, um, when you're in it, it's hard to see, but, um, we live in a world that's like so divided mm-hmm. and, uh, people are always trying to find things that are different about some people and, and things that, but the only, the thing that we are connected on and that could never change is the, like the adversity that we face. Like no matter how good somebody's life looks on the gram, like how many material things they have, like they're going to go through something and they're probably going to hit a moment where you are right now. And the greatest thing you can do is to push through that and to be able to offer your experience. Yeah. Like your experience is going to be valuable one day. Like there's a book we read in uh, the meetings. It's like, it says your darkest part of your past can become your greatest asset. Mm-hmm. And that's true. Like if you, if you don't look any further than me, like you have all the evidence that you need. Like I would never plan on coming out and talking about I overdosed and, I'm, and I could have yeah. died. And like, I'm not, I wasn't planning on talking about that, but now I look back and it's like, that's the greatest thing I have to offer. Mm-hmm. Not the way that I catch a pass or how much money I make. None of that. It's about how I transform that adversity and that pain, that darkness into something greater because everybody's going to face something like that in their life. Mm-hmm. And if you can offer somebody that, there's nothing greater that you could give mm-hmm. to, to another human being. I totally agree. How's this like changed your relationship with like your teammates? Um, and the conversations you guys have and like, do you feel like you're able to connect with people in a deeper way or what, or not? Is there still like some level of persona that you have to keep in the locker room? And all um, that? Cause I mean, they probably see you out here talking about all these deep things, meaningful that's what I'd things. I'll be, be thinking about that sometimes. You know? It's like, uh, the people I wonder like, do I think it's like, oh man, he come like, he's so, he's so deep, man. Like I can't, like I gotta look into <laughs> I gotta, yeah. I, I gotta look at myself like. Well, I feel like people think <laughs> about that uh, with me. It's like because of what I do, there's right. this expectation of like, oh, if I talk to Tori, I either gotta talk about what the shit I'm going through <laughs> or something I learned today. Right. You know what I mean? Like, there's right. an expectation. Do you feel like it's changed that um, at all? <laughs> not really. Like, I feel I feel comfortable in my own skin. Yeah. Um, and I and I didn't feel that way for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and one thing that I'll do is um. I feel like I kind of have a decent feel for is uh kind of like kind of like throwing some vulnerability out there like of myself mm-hmm. and uh and like seeing who kind of like jumps on it like <laughs> yeah. but really just like who comes into the conversation because those yeah. conversations are the best they're most fulfilling and mm-hmm. it's like you leave those conversations like so bonded yeah. to to other people yeah and yeah I think that is often my approach to it. it's just like you share something whether it's super vulnerable or just like honest or whatever right. and just real, like I'm just being fucking real with you about what's going through. It's like, it's this invitation for deeper connection if someone chooses to take it, right? And it's like the people that are ready or want to connect on that level will take the invitation and show up in that conversation. And then it's like, you do, you have like such a more meaningful moment or bond or like connection with those people. And I would imagine and assert that there's a deeper level of like, trust in a mm-hmm. like with your teammate somebody that you're like playing on the field with and you're trying to like you know 
I don't know how, how does that translate no, on that's the field. A, that's a very that's a very real thing. It's um you see these teams out there that do great things. It's like at its core, there's relationships there. Mm. There's um between everybody involved from the front office ownership to coaches and players. It's like it's one thing. Like guys want to be around each other. It's not about somebody getting a result where a coach can get a job and all mm-hmm. these and the player can get this and that. It's about being a part of something that's bigger than yourself. And mm-hmm. then when you go to these dinners and you sit in the lunchroom and you sit extra time in the sauna and you just sit in the locker room and, and talk to guys and, you know, these types of conversations start to happen and you just get to know people. It's like when things get rough out there on the field and it's like you have a, a an opportunity when things aren't going your way to maybe like give up or let up off the gas it's like you're more likely to do that when i I don't know him or like Mm -hmm. i don't have a relationship with him Mm -hmm. like or he talks to me a certain type of way i see how he acts but it's like if it's somebody that's like oh i know he's i know what he's going through i know he's trying i know he's giving everything that he has like Mm -hmm. you're gonna like run through a run through a wall as as people would say like you you literally will feel that way i felt that way about particular coaches in in uh, my career certain teammates it's like I don't. I just don't want to let him down because I know what he puts into this. I know the type of guy that he is. Like I'm riding with people like that. Mm-hmm. You know? I talk a lot about with my clients and on the show about who's in your huddle. Mm-hmm. I say that meaning like who who do you have on your team, metaphoric metaphoric team that's like speaking into your life, that's on your team, that's like that whether it's coaches or mentors or teachers or friends or community or like who's around you that is encouraging you, that sees your blind spots, that can hold you accountable, all of those things outside of your team and your your coaches. Like, what does your huddle or your support system look like? Like, who are the people that you've intentionally or unintentionally like put in place to like help you be like the most successful that you can be? Um, I was, my wife, first and foremost, mm-hmm. um, without a doubt, she's number one in that. Um, I have my sponsor. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like, essentially like a spiritual mentor. Amazing. Um, my therapist. Uh, those are like my top yeah. three that it's like, you know, and then there's other guys that, you know, I go to meetings with and have like, you know, guys that are seeking after God. Yeah. Um, that can, you know, they can tell me about me and uh, I, if I see something in them, I can bring it up to them and it's like, it's not like a, mm-hmm. me trying to point something out. It's really just us trying to do this thing together. Yeah. But it's like, I got my top three and then, um, you know, form better relationships with my teammates now. I've only been there a couple months, but I can see just like how cool of an environment that is and mm-hmm. how those things will only um, start to grow. And then from a football standpoint, those people can hold, they can hold me accountable. They can yeah. um, build me up and, and vice versa. So it's starting to become more well-rounded. And, you know, I'm, something big about me is I was able to, uh, some of my best friends in Vegas are people that are outside of football. So oh, really? it's like being proactive and finding those relationships outside of the game as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm moving to New Jersey. I've moved a lot. And a lot of times when I move, I'm like, like going out here to meet these people. Like I, I naturally <laughs> like, if I have any excuse to just isolate and be by myself yeah. and take it, but I got to get out there and form some of those relationships there yeah. as well. Cause it keeps me well-rounded. Mm-hmm. I think that's important. And I'm glad you share all that because I want people to hear that it's not just like people can see you and be like, okay, he's got his nutrition locked in. He's got his workout locked in. He's got all these things. But like to really succeed at the highest level, it's not just physical. Oh, no. Like my, I always tell people my early career, like in Baltimore, before the suspension and all that to post, like there isn't, 
there's a little bit of like refinement and technique and experience that has helped elevate my game. But the talent that was there, it was not much different. Mm. It's all in here, mm-hmm. all in the, all in the mind. Yeah. Yeah. There's a book I started rec- uh, reading recently, 177 Mental Toughness um, Secrets of the World Class. Mm. Have you read? Th- okay. I need to no. get you this book. I-, I meant to bring it. I was just like going to give it to you if you wow. hadn't read it because I think everyone needs it. And it's just like almost like one page. It's like, I can't, 177 of them, I guess. <laughs> and they are incredible. So this is the plug. Go get the book if you want it, but I'm going to send it to you. Um, and so many of the things that you shared today on this show are in that book. Like, and I think it's, it's really important for people to hear someone like you who is like operating, playing the game of football, but just life at a different, a different pace, a different level. You're not, you know, I've never gotten the, uh, like, feeling from you that you wanted to be mediocre or average in any way. But it's like, how do you go to the next level? You get support. Like, and that looks like therapy. It looks like friends. It looks like community. It looks like having hobbies. I know you also are a musician. You do things outside of football. People might not know about. You come from actually a a musical family. Uh, Tell me just a little bit about what the outside of football looks like for you when it comes to like the music. Yeah, so it's like, even to build off what you just said, it's um, like, I've never strived to be mediocre or anything. Like I strive for excellence Mm -hmm. and like want to be, do everything that I do great. But it's like not being great and successful at the expense of like my peace and uh, my enjoyment of life and just my overall well-being. Mm -hmm. So it's like things outside of football help with that a lot. Music is the biggest one. It's something that I started doing in like 2015. I I could do a whole music story as well because it's like uh, when I first started doing music, there was um, in college guys would play like instrumentals and they would like guys would freestyle at parties or Mm -hmm. something. And uh, my brain moved way too fast to be a part of that. You like you had to have free flow, and I was too anxious at the time. Okay. So I was like, if I write stuff down, I could be okay. And I, get, I got drafted to Baltimore, and I was like, you know what? I'm just about to start writing. And uh, I started rapping on GarageBand on my laptop, plugging in the iPod earbud yep. headphones and rapping into the mic in the uh, <laughs> in the earpods, mm-hmm. and just kind of continued the journey from there. But now it's something that I feel like I've uh, only continued to get better at and continue to do so, and it's. Just the joy of it. Like you said, it's in my blood. Like, yeah, that's that's why I do it. Like, I got um, introduced to who, really who my great-grandfather was and his impact my senior year of college. I had a jazz history class. And the professor was like, yo. Wow. You're here right now. Like, you need to pay attention. Like, yeah. I know you don't know none of this. You need to pay attention. And from there, it just started my music journey. And now it's, I love to make a wide variety of music. Because I listen to, I love good, ignorant hip-hop music every yeah. now and then. But I also listen to, piano and alternative rock cool. and and gospel music so my music reflects that mm-hmm. in all the different forms that my songs take and yeah. uh it's just a great balance because football takes a lot from you physically mentally um, emotionally and music just fills me back up like I go home with my laptop open and start making a beat and i'm just like, yeah. like a little kid man just i imagine it's an <laughs> awesome form of just like expression too yeah. just like a, a cool release to just be able to like either write about what you're going through or what you're feeling and have like a your own kind of just like safe, cool space that you can like jam out on your own. I come from a musical family too. So when I heard that about you, I was like, that's right. really dope. Yeah, that's really dope. Um, dude, I just want to say thank you, first of all, for just like 
saying yes to this. I know you have a ton of shit going on. You're about to get ready to go back to New York. You made time to stop by the studio. I just really appreciate you, your message, what you're doing, how you show up, who you choose to be every single day. It makes a real difference. Um, you're showing people that their worst decisions don't define them and they really have, if they so choose, an amazing, beautiful future. And so um, just want to recognize you for that and say thank you. Thank you. I appreciate, yeah, appreciate you having sure. me. This was fun. This flew by. Yeah, I know. It really <laughs> did. And I know you got to go, got to go work out, get ready uh, for everything you have coming up. What are you excited about? I know you've got a foundation that mm -hmm. you have. Is there anything you want to plug or talk about? Anything you want to say to people before we wrap up today? Um, yeah, mm -hmm. of course. Uh, foundation, Darren Waller Foundation, we're aiming to uh, support the youth in, with substance abuse problems, sending mm -hmm. people we've sent almost 60 people through 30 day rehab stays on Amazing. scholarship and have them in aftercare and just transition into the rest of their life. Uh, looking to expand the work from Vegas to the tri-state area out on the East coast. Oh yeah. Um, got the comeback story season three. Uh, we'll start releasing new episodes August 3rd. Cool. Training camps coming up. Check out the New York giants. We're working. Mm -hmm. um, I'm always recording new music. You can expect something in the fall. Where can people find that? Are um, you like just search my name on Spotify? Uh, you're on Spotify. Yeah. Hell yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I got didn't a, know few, that. a few projects on there. And uh, yeah, if you, see, if you see me in the street, say hello. All right. Okay. <laughs> you heard it here, guys. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for another week of tuning in to the Coachable Podcast. This is where you get to hear from some of the best experts in the game so you can level up your game in life and business. Don't just listen to this. Go apply something you learned today. And if you got a lot of value of it out of it, please leave us a rating and review. That is one of the best ways you can say thank you and make sure this, this show continues to grow and reach as many listeners as possible. Till next week, go be coachable. We'll see you next week on the Coachable Podcast. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.